everyone. Welcome to Real World Parenting, tips and scripts for parents on roads less traveled. I'm Dr. Laura Anderson, a child and family psychologist, and I'm glad you're here. As you settle in to listen, let me reassure you that you are in the right place. If you're a loving parent looking for answers and encouragement, and maybe even a chuckle amidst hard things. If you're a loving parent who's raising a child on a journey different from your own as a child, and are seeking a compass as you navigate uncharted waters. This is the place for you if you get the theory of parenting advice you keep hearing, but for the love of chocolate and curry and all other nearly perfect things, that theory never quite works as planned with your actual children. Finally, you are in exactly the right place if you're a therapist or clinician who works with kids, teens, and families. My intention is that these episodes will deepen your work and change lives. So in this intro, I get two to three minutes here to boil down 30 years of work in my psychology offices and my experience as a mom in the trenches and let you know what I'll offer with this podcast. I almost called it Lessons from Our Living Rooms or Couch Conversations because my offerings will be things I have learned and keep learning from the vantage point of both my living room couch and my therapy office couch. The aim of this podcast is to offer hope, support, wisdom, and experience in community, to provide clinicians a window into what our recommendations actually mean for real families in real life. We will talk all things kid and teen related and shine a spotlight on families navigating identities related to race, gender, and adoption. We will explore common child and adolescent mental health and wellness related topics. The hope is to leave you with a greater understanding of your child's needs and a, you got this, energy. Episodes will also feature actual practical tips and answers to questions including, well, what do I say when? And well, what do I do when? So that you feel equipped to handle the day-to-day parenting puzzles we face. So pour yourself a cuppa or lace up some shoes or hide in your busy parent bathroom for a bit and join me for head and heart conversations about loving and living with children walking past less often traveled. Have I mentioned I'm glad you're here? I trust that you'll be glad. So one of the other things I heard you say, Mark, in this is this, I think that I hear a lot from adoptees and seeing families around me is this, the journey to be okay with differentness. That it doesn't, that doesn't have to be a bad thing, right? Like it doesn't have to be that we have to resolve ourselves to raising adoptees who never quite feel at home as, as always a thoroughly negative thing. There are very hard parts to that journey and I'm not minimizing those at all. There is an absolute um, challenge, complexity, pain point around being being severed from from your most original connections and attachments and cultures and relationships and I don't mean to minimize that and I'm wondering what you what you think about if you're a parent and you're trying to help without minimizing your child's right. pain points about being different how do yeah. you keep reminding yeah. them that differentness has its glory in the long right. run so I, I actually address that in my book too oh cool so I talk about how and let me first frame this in terms of race and then I'll frame it in terms of uh, gender or gender identity and sexual orientation. So one of the things I talk about in the book is how, and I've seen this happen countless times, 
I've seen white transracially adopted parents have the light bulb go over their head the day that they realize that racism is real. Suddenly this revelation, this satori happens, and they're like, oh my gosh. And then what happens is two things happen. First, they collapse into a terrible existential heap. And then, which I feel bad about, but I've seen the heap things things yes. a couple of times. Yes. And then they go on to do what I call tragedizing their child's narrative. And that's what you're referring to here. So I had a rather heated chat over private message on Facebook with someone who was involved in our main group. In fact, at one point, she was a co-admin. Um, and I met her entire family in person when they were visiting Chicago briefly. And shortly after that, we had this argument. <laughs> and she was very actively tragedizing her daughter's narrative. And but we were having a dialogue about whether or not she would ever tell her daughter that her daughter had to be respectful to people in the school place or the workplace. In other words, literally, could she say F you to people? And I was trying to explain to her, she just did not want to hear this at all. She said, and, and then her daughter was not black. Her daughter was Chinese, Chinese-born adoptee. She said, my daughter is, is oppressed and marginalized in every sector of her life. As her mother, I could not possibly ever, uh, you know, put boundaries, set boundaries around her. And I was trying to explain to her. And I said, really? You're like, you're, if she's in her first job, a first work job, you know, professional job, you're going to say that she can go running through the corridors at work saying F you to people, right? Like, really? And the thing that she didn't understand because she was caught in this early stage stuckness around this, right? She understood what oppression was, but she didn't understand that parents of color teach their children of color, usually, how to navigate those situations, right? So Black parents coach and guide their Black children so that when they're dealing, you know, they have the discussion, so they have the talk, so that their Black son, who's 19 years old, who's pulled over by the police, doesn't end up being killed, right? They have to do this. Mm. Tragically, in our society, they shouldn't have to. Mm -hmm. But we have police who are fully armed and trigger-happy and ready to shoot. So what I was trying to explain to this mom was you are doing your daughter a disservice if you are teaching her that she doesn't need to exert some caution in the school setting or the workplace, right? And, and we literally were having the argument over whether her daughter could say F you to people. <laughs> and I'm like, she can do it, but she's going to get in trouble, right? Like, white people can get away with so much more than people of color can. It's just the reality. And so 
per your question, what I try to try to help way transracially adoptive parents do in their own minds is to navigate a mind space, right? Where as they realize that racism, structural racism impacts people of color, that they not tragedize their child's narrative, right? So if you're raising a black son, of course, it's hideously unjust that he has to think in very different ways about what to do if he's stopped by the police. That's unjust, full stop. But he does have to think about those things so that he doesn't end up dead. And that's simply the reality. And what you as a white parent have to do is you have to get yourself educated enough and woke enough. Tragedizing the narrative, when I use, and I coined that, you can use that, it has two components. One is the white parent themselves feeling tragic about it. The other is conveying the tragedy to their child. To the child, as if all of blackness or brownness or an Asianness become defined by the injustice, right? right. Like that, that's, the, 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 that's, that's it. And, and so what you have to do as a white parent is you have to educate yourself to a very high level, honestly, to be able to convey this, right? So you're conveying that there's racism, systemic and structural racism. There is injustice. You must do that. But you must also convey that countless adults of color are living very fulfilling lives. Their lives are not tragedies, yeah. you know? And one of, the, one of the key things that I say over and over and over, I'm sure people are tired of hearing me say this, I'm a broken record, but you must, as a white transracially adopted parent, you must begin to consume as much media as possible, created, produced, and uh, concept concepted by people of color. Yeah. So that, I mean, like if you're a parent of a black child in the United States, you need to be reading The Root and Atlanta Black Star and things like this. This is how you start to understand things in a way that's not completely white, right? It's interesting too, Mark, the, the arc that you described, I do a lot of work with um, families who are raising um, questioning kids or kids who are very firmly already identified as LGBTQ+. And there's a similar, right? The first thing that happens when parents do a Google search is the statistics on, on mental health or so, on kids and, yeah. on, and, and, and so then parents, there's... It, Similarly, there needs to be, I mean, I don't, this is a, probably an interesting part of our conversation. I'm always very careful to say, I don't mean to equate the two because, because you can't, because there are different, although they're both protected, you know, they're both involved minority stress. I'm not drawing exact parallels between the two, but, but having this awareness that suddenly your child may lose privilege that you have if you're straight and yes. white, that your child will like, there's grief around, around yeah. that. And yet if you 
if you are living stuck in that grief with dread and fear about what it means that your child is gay or trans or pan or whatever. Yeah, that's the tragedization of the narrative, yeah. right? Again, you have to get out of your whiteness. I don't know how else to say it. And you have to get out of your heterosexuality if you're talking LGBTQ. Yeah. yeah. Because I am living a great life. I'm living a wonderful life. I'm very happy. I'm not living a tragedy. Complexity is not tragedy. The more aware of things you become, the less tragedizing you become. I think there's this very immature early phase that white people and heterosexual people go through as parents either with a child of color or with a child who is emerging into an LGBTQ identity. And that immature early phase does involve tragedization, right? It's like, oh my gosh, my child, how can it, blah, blah, blah. But we're not victims. And that's one of the things I try to say over and 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 over. And I'll keep saying it. <laughs> I am not a victim. I'm having a great life. I'm having a wonderful life. And actually the complexity of my identity, of all my identities, has made my life that much richer. I was thinking about this actually the other day that, and I don't know how to say this without it sounding, I don't know, wrong, but I feel rich being a gay man of color because I see the world in much more nuanced, shaded ways, I think, than some people see it, right? Yeah. And so I absolutely do not want anyone to come away from this podcast either pitying me Feel, feeling sorry for me or saying, oh my gosh, she's, he's living this tragic life. I'm having a fabulous life, right? <laughs> yes. I really am. And so it's just that I've got more layers than other people, right? Like your onion might have 10 layers. My onion has 12 or 13 or 14. It doesn't make it less juicy or whatever the right it just it just means there's more to sort through and and that also has made my life richer going through the sorting process for decades now has made me a deeper person a more thoughtful person a more compassionate person and a more visionary person and just to give you one example, and people can debate with me my own perceptions of my life if they want, but one of the things that drew me to journalism as a profession was growing up so bizarre and unusual and constantly wondering what it might be to grow up in another place or even another time. So I became fascinated with anthropology, culture, history. And then I did have some ability, I mean, my daughter does too, with languages. But 
learning languages, which did come naturally to me, and I'm blessed in that, I'm fortunate, has also opened amazing doors for me, right? Yeah. And so the very fact of my differentness has directly enriched my life because it's pushed me forward in all sorts of places that I never would have pushed myself into. It's, it certainly has made me more inter, made my perspective more international and global. Yeah. It, you know, in my book, I interviewed 13 fellow transracial adoptees because I didn't want it just to be my own narration and my own perspectives. And each of these adoptees has had very different experiences. They've come from different places. They've gone to different places. They're living in different places. They've had very different experiences. Like some of them are in birth family reunions, some, some aren't. They're different ages, different genders, different sexual orientations. And one of the things that is fascinating for me, and this continues to propel me forward, when I meet fellow transracial adoptees and I find out that we have had very similar journeys, even though they've been individual, that's so affirming and validating, right? Like, so I have a Bangladeshi Danish adoptee in my uh, book uh, that I interviewed. I have a Chinese Spanish adoptee, a Colombian Norwegian adoptee, several black and black biracial adoptees in the United States with very, very different experience experiences. Um, I have two adoptees who are therapists. Um, and what's amazing is how all of us are individuals. Of course, we're all individuals. And yet the commonalities are striking, you know. So I just feel very, um, I'm having this wonderfully rich life. And the very fact of my needing to go on these multiple journeys has been a source of joy and enrichment. Yeah, thank you. Really, the one of the big takeaways that I keep finding in my work is making this space to believe, accept, see, and feel the hard, complex parts so that you're free to experience the joy and the richness of it. You, yeah. you can't have one without the other in some ways on these journeys yeah. to intersect. A yeah, little absolutely. Bit, right? and, I, and again, I'll just, I know I've said this like 10 times already. No. I just, I feel compelled to say it again. For adoptive parents, do not tragedize your child's narrative. Your child is going to have a rich and interesting life. And their journey is going to take them to places and spaces that neither you nor they ever imagined for them. And I think that's wonderful, right? Like I, I could tell you about the time I went to a gay bar in Seoul. <laughs> and I could tell you about the time that, um, it, you know, I sat on a panel with a South Asian European adoptee in Barcelona speaking in Spanish with a Spanish audience about our lived experiences. You know, I mean, it's just, um, 
And I, be, I became fluent in Spanish because of transracial adoption. I got involved in this group and I just kept going. And now I'm, I'm learning Danish because I'm helping to moderate a Scandinavian group. And that's interesting too, because my father is Norwegian, so Norwegian American. And as I learn more uh, in the Scandinavian languages, it's, it's a very interesting, strange, kind of a kind of a cultural homecoming people don't understand that you know i grew up with a norwegian american father and a german american mother in milwaukee i got more of my mother's german american immigrant culture but i got some of my father's too and now as a 60 year old going on 61 adult people just dismiss the fact that i grew up with white northern european immigrant american parents they're just like, they become, people become reductive and essentialist. And they're just like, oh, well, you're just an Asian guy. So an entire facet of my life gets completely erased, right? Yet, even though it had nothing to do with my birth culture in Korea, I did have a growing up culture. And that was with these two Northern European white immigrant cultures in the United States. And it was a real set of experiences, right? Like we, growing up in my parents' household, instead of cheers, my father always said skull, which is Scandinavian. <laughs> and it's just so interesting now because I have all these different layers, right? And that's a good thing. It is. Oh, that's perfect. I'm going to go ahead and... Thank you again for joining me today. And I could talk for hours. Thank you. And I want to redirect as we wrap up to the to folks who are looking for really deep adoptee-led, and that's really important, conversations and, and guidance and community is transracial adoption perspectives. and Perspective. Yes. And can I just tell people yes. what they should do is we ask people to go through, we have an introductory group called TAP 101. So if you are on Facebook, Type in TAP uh, space 101, TAP 101. Ask to be admitted to that group. Just say that you heard this podcast and you have some connection to the transracial adoption community or constellation. We'll let you in there. And then we'll, after a few weeks, you kind of graduate to the regular TAP. There's that. And is it okay if I mention my book also? Uh, yes, I was. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. It's very easy. Just go to markhaglandbook.com. So M-A-R-K-H-A-G-L-A-N-D-B-O-O-K.com. And it's an ebook and it's very reasonably priced. And I hope that it will help people. People who have read it have said they really found it useful. You've now heard several stories from the book, including my traffic safety story. But anyway, uh, I hope that it will be useful for Thank you. No, I am. I, I really, it's another big thread I hold in this and it's ironic. I always start by saying I, I mean, in a position of privilege in this whole conversation as a white adoptive parent. And, and one of my key takeaways is, um, you know, mostly listen to adoptees and thank you for joining <laughs> me too, to remind you to keep centering the experiences of adoptees. Cause we, we can get, we can get stuck and there's more and more being written and, and throughout the lifespan too, right? I think that's the other thing. That's a whole other episode that I'll have to have you back for another time is the, 
the infant, like the keeping adoptees as children in our heads, the adoptees grow into full adults. Right. And, and well, I mean, it's so ironic, isn't it, Laura? Yes. Because in our groups, I'm one of the oldest people. And yet when I talk about my experiences as a young child, I know people have in their head the mark who was four, right? right. And even though that was... 57 years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating. So yes, that for another day. Um, thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And I'm happy to send you your way. All right. Well, thanks for listening today. Just a quick note here at the end to say I am so glad you joined. And I hope you are too. And if you'd like to connect with me more, come take a look at my website, www.drlauraanderson.com. There you can join my newsletter, keep in touch, and find out what is in the works. You can also join me for coffee and conversation uh, on Facebook at Common Cord Psychology Services. So check me out those places, and I look forward to further connection. I'm glad you were here today.